So we're here for the second official episode of the Under the Number podcast. This time with Conrad Yukupina, one of my old teammates from Stanford. We overlapped in the 2016 season, my freshman year, his fifth year, my only year on the team. Again, his fifth year on the team. He was a captain. He was on his way to um, having a shot in the NFL. He in Rose Bowls. He was there at like what I would argue is probably the peak of Sanford football ever, potentially in the history of the program. Um, so super pumped to have him on. Uh, just kind of want to start off somewhat chronologically. How does one become a kicker? Brent, thanks for having me on. Fired up to be here. Um, that's a great question. I think the majority of kickers come from a soccer type background and um, I think when you see a kicker in high school, you can tell pretty much right away if they have a chance to play in college football because it's it's has their leg swing been developed yet. And it's one of those things just like golf where the sooner you start kicking stuff, usually the more natural you are at it. And so growing up, um, I wanted to be a quarterback. That was my dream. My dad went to Washington State and my best memories with him were sitting on the couch on Saturday watching Washington State Cougar football. And it was my dream to someday wear the you know crimson uniforms and go up to Washington State and play quarterback. And so um, I go into high school just with that one goal in mind. And I go to Loyola High School, big all-boys Jesuit um, school in downtown LA. And um, I'm in this really close quarterback battle. I'm close to being named the starter, and I break my arm in four places in our um, like you know preseason scrimmage, inner squad scrimmage. Absolutely devastated. Um, you know, I had been going home saying, "Mom, I'm going to be the quarterback. High school is going to be easy for me. You know, I'm going to be able to to talk to all the girls." And now I'm just the kid with the broken arm on the team. But I just made a hundred friends on the freshman football team. And so I wanted to stay on the team and be active. So I'd go to practice every day with a cast, you know, up to my shoulder. And all I could do at practice was kick. And I discovered a hidden talent. It was like, oh my gosh, I can kick the football, you know, far from my background of playing soccer my whole life since I was three years old in the front yard with my brothers, um, kicking things and throwing things. And so ended up kicking through the rest of high school. And I kind of like to think that kicking chose me in a way. Um, and it flipped for me being this guy's like, I want to be the quarterback. You know, the, I want to be the guy to be, you know, I want to be the kicker. Like I want to be the guy in that realm and um, ended up getting recruited to Stanford and um, actually thought that I was going to go to Harvard. And I ended up uh, being ranked the number one punter in California. Um, and decently high, I was like, I think number three kicker in California. And um, so I decided to go to all these college camps. So the summer between my junior and my senior year, all of the colleges that had been recruiting me, like I went to Northwestern, I went to University of North Carolina, I went to Duke, I went to UCLA, I went to USC. Um, I went to go and kick in front of the coach. And I also went to Cal and then I go to Stanford. And Stanford was just a pipe dream. My mom was from the Bay Area. And, you know, just kind of like I loved Andrew Luck, the quarterback inside me. So 
I was like, you know, what? let's 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 go up to Stanford, even though they're not recruiting me, and let's just go to the camp and see what happens. And dude, when I went to the Stanford camp, I just had a lights out day. And so what happened was all of the Ivy Leagues go to those camps. Harvard just on the spot is like, hey, you're our guy. We want to offer you a spot. I remember the coach's name is Joe Villapiano. Built a great relationship with Vips. Vips, yeah. Coach Vips. Yes, dude. Yeah. He's the man. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, Harvard's like, I'm their guy and they had won the Ivy league that year. So just like with anything in recruiting, then all the other Ivies just followed suit. And, um, so I end up getting, you know, offers, however you call it for Ivy league to pretty much every Ivy league school. And so it comes time for official visits. Now we go to, you know, play my senior year. We do well. Um, and I, decide that you can go on five official visits at that time. You're only allowed five. And so I was like, you know what? I want to do five. Did you have any other offers outside of the Ivies? So I had um, Fresno State, Middle Tennessee State, and Idaho, and then a bunch of walk-ons. I could have walked on at USC, UCLA. Um, I could have walked on at Cal. I went to their camp. Uh, I could have walked on at Northwestern. But... But really, it was... It I'm was sure Middle Tennessee State loved their odds with that lineup. Yeah, dude, that was, that was so red. <laughs> so, so, so I go on five visits because I just wanted to do that with my mom. I just thought it'd be really fun. Yeah. So I end up doing um, Dartmouth, Harvard, uh, Penn. I went to Yale, and then I went to Stanford. Um just because I just thought it'd be a fun tour. It's like a free weekend trip. Like, why not, you know, rip it with Absolutely. the parents? Um, and so I basically thought that I was going to go to Harvard. I was all but committed. And I play in this new All-American games. You know, there's like Under Armour, there's the U.S. Army. And then Maya, there's this new one called Is the Semper Fi. Semper Fi. Semper Fi. I knew you were going to say that. Yes. Blue and white, right? Yeah. Blue and white so logo. Bad. It was wrong. I was yeah. So I was the inaugural one. Nice. Great story about that one actually. And my first day at the Semper Fi Bowl, I sit on the bus, and this is back when it was like iPod touches were the thing. So I have my iPod Touch, and this big dude comes and sits next to me on the bus, and you know I'm this small punter at the time. You know, like a buck sixty. Yeah, maybe like dripping wet. You know what I mean? And like. This dude comes and sits next to me, and I'm just like, oh, my God, they do not make dudes like this at my high school. Like, just <laughs> jacked. You know what I mean? Just zero body fat. Yep. And he goes, hey. Hey, dude, how's it going? Um, he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm playing this, like, you know, game on my iPod Touch. It was like a zombie game. <laughs> and he's like, can I play? And I was like, yeah, dude. I'm sorry. I just want to make friends. I just showed up at the Semper Fibles in yeah. Phoenix. <laughs> and... Uh, so I give him my iPod touch and he plays and he loves it. It's this like zombie game. You run around and like, shoot, it's so dumb. And so then we became buddies and every day on the bus, we would sit next to each other every day. And we were just super cool friends. This dude was the coolest dude. I loved him. So he didn't, he didn't just like you for your iPod. Oh, we became friends. That was like the first bonding moment. And the best part was he wasn't playing in the game. Because he told me, he told people he was hurt. But then he told me, he's like, I'm not playing in the game because I don't want to learn the plays. 
Just straight up. He's like, I do not want to learn the plays. I'm not playing in the game. He said, quote, I'm just here for the free shit. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to keep in touch with this dude. He ends up uh, committing to Georgia at the game as a running back. And it's Todd Gurley. No way. Yeah. Yeah, dude. So Todd Gurley and I became like fast friends at the Semper Fi game. We keep in touch. He still follows me on Twitter and Instagram. That's so And uh, <laughs> all because of an iPod touch, dude. Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley, we're boy. You ended up in the Semper Fi Bowl. You said as a punter, right? That's right. Wasn't this partially because of some struggles as a kicker? Or is this about time? Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. So despite was, having the great kicking performance at Stanford and they, yeah. leading in, right, totally. leading into senior year, right? yeah, great question. And only really, I think my high school friends know this or remember this because they used to make fun of me a lot. Um, but my senior year of high school, um, I was a really good punter, really good kickoff guy. So I was being recruited as a punter to most schools. I was the number one ranked punter in in California. Um, and my senior year. My first game, I remember, you know, like, have all this hype. I'm the dude being recruited, right? I'm at a big high, D1 high school. My first game, I remember Brian Polian, who's the Stanford special teams coordinator at the time. He's at the game because he's recruiting Cody Whitfield, who was my year at Loyola and at point of Stanford. Really good wide receiver and defensive back. Good friend, too. And I'm so nervous, dude. I, I remember I threw up before the game. And I go out to kick a 52-yard field goal. And my first game of the season, there was like, Conrad, this is your year, you know, and the holder drops the snap. And so I have to like stop and take basically a one step to kick a 52 yard field goal. And it comes up like an inch short. It's actually on my highlight film. He dropped, he misplaced it and tried to set dropped it. Dropped it. Like, so I had to timing's, stop, right? timing's off. So I have to like take a one step and kick it. Yeah. It's like, you know, a couple feet short. I still have that on my, you can look it up on my high school highlights on YouTube. I just like cut it right before it went through. Because of course I made my highlights, obviously. Oh, I did that as a quarterback. Dude. Of, every QB in high school, there are plenty of drops. They just cut it. So I missed that. And um, so I start off 0 for 1. And I remember before the season, I told myself, I need to make every field this year. Like I'm going 20 for 20 every PAT. And I already start off 0 for 1. And then the next game, I go out to kick a 56-yard field goal, which is hard for any kicker, and I miss it. And 52 and 56 to start the season, to be fair, is hard. pretty unheard of for high school. Right. I feel like even as a quarterback, right, you start the game, you want to throw, you know, like some screens, a slam. Absolutely. Right? Like get, get warm Absolutely. a little bit. Yeah. One and step. As, a, as a kicker, like you can get 10 kicks with, you know, kickoffs and PATs, or you can literally get like one. Right, depending on how the game goes. So just, it starts off wrong. And I ended up getting in my head and I just like could not make kicks. And me watching the Dallas Cowboys kick of this past season just really reminded me of that. And I really felt for him too, because it's just so, so incredibly mental. And you, you, talk, you told me about this before. In practice, it was no problem. Yeah. Totally. In practice, like I was lights out. I could make anything. And there was just this mental block called the yips, whatever it was. I would just go to the game and I just could not make it. And the worst part about high school is, I mean, in hindsight, I'm sure I was mean too, but your friends are mean, dude. You know, like, and I'm at an all boys school and I would come back and I'm in this like tough place because, you know, I want to be a kicker and this is my future. This is how I'm going to get recruited to college. 
and you know, I'm just missing everything. And you'd come back to high school and dudes would be like, Oh, there's, you know, one for 10 Conrad, like, you know, and so I ended, so up, brutal. I ended up going one for 10. It was really bad. Well, also uh, when your friends are chirping you for that, you're like, it's only my you know, future on the line that right. we're talking about. It's here. only my future scholarship and <laughs> trying I'm to glad you guys are enjoying this. Yeah, dude. So I just fully like embrace it. I'm like, okay, you got to roll with the punches, whatever. I, I broke my arm and then, you know, became a kicker. So maybe this is the next thing. So I'm just going to be a puncher. So, um, you literally went one for 10 your senior year. Literally. I made every PAT. So there's this disconnect. Like I, every PAT lights out, like right down the middle bomb. Just shows how much movement. But just field goals, like literally be a 20 yard field goal in the right hash. I can make it just, it was so absurd. It's the yips, whatever you want to call it. I had it, dude, but punting like kickoffs. That was great. So, um, going back week before Stanford's official visit, I think I'm going to Harvard. I go and I play really well in the Semper Fi game, which is January 1. But Lance Anderson, who was the defensive coordinator, he calls me and says, hey, you know, our special teams coordinator has just left. You're the number one kicker on our board. Do you want to come for official visit? And at this point, I'm fully thinking I'm going to Harvard. And I say, absolutely. Come up that next weekend. And I go to Stanford, and it was just the best weekend. Like, I remember I went to SAE. And, you know, with all the guys um, on the football team and they were just so nice. I was like, oh, you're a recruit. Like, come and hang with us. Come and drink with us. Like, you've got to come to Stanford. We need you here. Versus when I went to Harvard, I remember we literally went to the football final club on our official visit. And we show up at the final club and the Harvard football captain opens the door in a tuxedo and he says, Hey guys, we have a private event tonight. Get the fuck off our porch. And I was like, oh, dude, that's the captain of the football team. This is their biggest, this was Harvard's biggest recruiting weekend. And you're saying we can't even come in and hang out with you. And it's like, what it's not a good sign. Just not a good look. So it was really the people for me that just fully pushed me over the edge. Of course, also opportunity to earn a scholarship, opportunity to play in the Pac 12, et cetera, et cetera. So kind of a no brainer. So I basically flipped from Harvard to Stanford. Um, and I come there as a preferred walk-on in 2012. Yeah. Who were some of the guys in your recruiting class? Who were some of the guys that you knew once you committed or that you thought in your head, I cannot believe I'm teammates with yeah. this guy? Yeah. Dude, I, I want to get into that. I want to add one thing, too, just with the whole Shaw, and then we're going to the, the teammates. Yeah. Um, so... So the special teams coordinator had left right before I came, and so they brought in a new guy named... Pete Alomar, who ended up being my special teams coach. He's the man for all five years. Um, Pete Alomar, before Stanford, was at Fresno State. And I was recruited at Fresno State. And I remember after the Stanford camp, where I was driving from Stanford back to Pasadena. And my mom was like, Conrad, we should go visit Coach Alomar at Fresno State. Because he'd come to one of my games. He had come and seen me kick out a park one time. Built a great relationship with me and my family. And I remember saying, Mom, like, I'm already basically committed, you know, I'm going to go to Harvard, you know, or I'm going to go to Stanford. Like, I don't want to go see Fresno State. She's like, no, like, you should go. You should go. Like, we told him, you know, we'd probably go. Let's go see him. So we go see Coach Alomar, have a great visit at Fresno State. It was awesome. And then he ends up becoming my coach at Stanford. So just such a good lesson of don't burn bridges. Yeah, you know, if people are going out of their way to recruit you or be nice to you, like, always show the respect back. Because if I would have blown him off, 
and been like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to Stanford, then, you know, it would have just started with a really, you know, bad taste in everyone's mouth. Absolutely. So just a, a great lesson there. But so I show up my freshman year. So I was the first like real mix of Shaw guys and Harbaugh guys, right. but I was coming into a Harbaugh class. And so going back to your last question of, you know, who are the guys, the only guy who I knew or had looked up in my recruiting class was Barry Sanders Jr. Of course it's yeah. Barry Sanders son. Yeah. And I remember coming into, I'd seen his highlight tape on, you know, huddle, I think at the time. Yeah. Right. And the dude was just cooking dudes. Like it was, it's, if you haven't seen Barry's, High school highlight tape. Watch Go it. right now and watch it. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Um, and so I remember thinking, like, oh, you know, what's this guy going to be like? He's probably going to be this, you know, celebrity guy. Dude, I meet him my first day, and he was the nicest, most genuine human being. We instantly become friends. He seems that way. And right then, I'm just thinking, dude, like, this was the right decision. Meeting Barry. It's it, that is the kind of guy who's just a Stanford guy, so good. He he just loved it. Was so positive, such a good teammate, um, and he's still a great friend to this day. Um, so Reed and I, Reed Miller, along Sapper, we show up to camp, and you know everyone had already kind of been there. And do also want to give a, a shout out to Zach Hoffpower. So Zach and I played in the Semper Fi game together. And we also became really great friends. Um, and I love Zach, still love him to this day. Um, and we ended up being friends all through college, but he, like Zach showing up, Zach was like my one friend that I already had. So I just like stuck with him and we did everything together our freshman year. Um, really miss him a lot. And um, yeah, just a really great dude. But bringing back a lot of memories. Anyways, um, yeah, man. So Zach, Barry Sanders, Reed was my roommate. He was a great guy. And um, so we actually get stuck uh, sharing a locker, Reed and I. Splitting it. Splitting it. So so this is before you got there, we had the old locker rooms. Yeah. It was maybe a third the size of the locker room that we have now. Um, just tiny. And so every dude had a locker except for Rita. And it was because a guy quit over the summer. And so I think because that guy quit, they had a locker open. So Reed and I were able to take it. And our locker was kind of in the back of the locker room. Um, and it was named um, MLK Boulevard. <laughs> your, which, your alleyway of lockers. Yes, our alleyway of lockers. Um, and it was because it was just a lot of a lot of guys on the team, you know, who were, um, you know, it was just a lot of black guys <laughs> on the team. And uh, it was me and Reed. That's what it was known to the whole team. Literally everyone called it that. I obviously did not name it that. I'm this, you know, 160 pound walk on freshman. And they're like, I show up and this one guy, I remember it was like, oh, you're in, you're in MLK Boulevard. I'm like, what the hell does that mean? And he was just like, good luck, bro. And so in order to get into MLK Boulevard, if you wanted to walk through, because it was like a specific part, you had to have a pass. And like, for some reason, Reed and I just automatically had a pass because our locker was there. So that kind of like made us really cool because we could go into MLK, but no one else could. Um, 
but it was wild. I, I literally, the locker on my right was Stefan Taylor, who was like the star running back from the year before. Awesome dude. Um, to the left was like Ricky Seal, I remember, and Jamal Rashad Patterson. And it was definitely just like, dude, we're here, man. This is college football. Like, um, um, and dude, camp was really hard. My first camp. Um, and so I remember in camp going from high school where I'm the man to now I'm the low man on the totem pole. And literally Alomar was really analytical. And so everything we did in practice was filmed and everything was charted. And so my job as the young guy was before practice, I did go up and get the clipboard and then I had to bring it out of practice. And then at the end of practice, I had to get the clipboard and bring it back. And as a freshman, you know, guys would make sure that your life wasn't super easy. And there were multiple times where like the clipboard would get hidden. <laughs> and yeah. I would need to try it's too to, easy. Oh, dude. It's too easy. Are you kidding me? Yeah. yeah. I mean, so like the clipboard would get hidden in camp. And, you know, one time I couldn't find it. And it turns out that, you know, one of the other people just brought it in on purpose. So they knew that I wouldn't be able to find it. And you're walking around the field looking for it. Looking for like existing clipboard. Yeah, yeah. And I need to, you know, go and shower and get in the cold tub and go to PT and then go to dinner and then get back to meetings. Right. Freshman year. Like, they're the, the, being an 18 year old freshman yeah. walking around a locker room with guys who are 21, 22, maybe even 23 years old, their fifth years. Yeah. You really feel kind of like a kid yeah. in a lot of ways yeah. versus like grizzled season guys. Like I never, I'll never forget seeing Johnny Caspers, for example, right. who was the center in yeah. 2016. Yeah. He literally looked like a lumberjack. Yeah. Like, Thickest beard ever. He could have passed for 46 years old when he was like 22. Dude, absolutely. A couple of things pop up there. Number one, um, they needed guys just for the linebackers to run and do their drill. And I, all I had to do was turn to one way and then they would just have to like swim and go butt side. So you right. could have been a bag. You could, could have, have been literally a, been a bag. Instead it, was, instead it was Conrad. <laughs> and I remember the first guy running at me is Shane Scove. And I mean, if you remember the year before that, he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. The dude is just a, a, a specimen. Like he's just scary, an exceptionally scary college just player. Just on top of being yeah, a physical six specimen. five. Oh my god! What did he do? That he did the black like war paint. Yeah, he does the like, war cheap. paint and stuff. Yeah. Like, and he's the man. Um, and uh, so I just had to like jump. And I remember the first time we actually. I remember we watched it on film. I jump and I just kind of go like this, and I. I curl into a little ball because it's just scary. And Shane, after I do that, he comes back, he taps me on the back of the head and he says, don't worry, pumpkin, I'm not going to hurt you. <laughs> and I was just like, oh my God, that's so embarrassing. I totally just flinched um, with him. You know, but then, but then a couple weeks later, like just to show what a guy he is, I was biking back from meetings and my like chain fell off my bike. You know, everyone bikes around at Stanford. And Shane Scove doesn't know my name, stops and like spends 20 minutes putting my chain back on my bike. And so I'm just like, damn, you know, on the field, it's all business. It's a meritocracy, but off the field, these are just great dudes. That's how a lot of the guys were. I mean, I, yeah. as a freshman preferred walk on quarterback, mm -hmm. again, as near to the bottom of the totem pole as you can get. Right. right. My training camp, it was like, that was McCaffrey where 
on the practice field and be like, this, this guy yeah. is in a different gear. Yeah. Don't talk to him. Yeah. Don't even think about having a side conversation. Right. It doesn't right. matter if it's a water break. Like, just yeah. don't. Just do not approach if you're, particularly if you're a freshman. Yeah. <clears throat> not because he was like a jerk. He was just so the epitome of being locked in. Yeah. And then I remember early on, you're in the, the cold tubs and the hot tubs after practice. And I was talking to Keller. who couldn't have been a nicer guy. Yeah, man. And McCaffrey comes over and he's just like, wants to chat, wants to get to know the freshman. We end up talking about how my uncle roomed with his dad at Stanford back in the day. It's a totally normal conversation. Yeah. I'm like, it's that same thing. We have the recognition of this is a great culture. Like, this is pretty cool. The guys, the people here make a huge difference yeah. for the entire program. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, dude. Like, there was, there was a lot, a good amount of hazing. Just two things for you. Like, I remember... In my, my, as always, some good stuff. My, my second day, um, you know, there was some, I'm a freshman and there are some fifth years. They just come up to me in the locker room and just like make eye contact with me, just like this straight face. And they're like, let me see your penis. <laughs> just straight up. Like, like this zero facial expression, you know, the second day, just <laughs> let me see your penis. And I am just thinking, like, what? Like, what do you, and we all shower together, right? So it's like, you, we, like, you know, and I just remember being so bewildered because I'd never been in a situation like this. And like, my brain is like, freaking out. I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? And uh, so I just, you know, kind of walk away. I think Ben Ryan probably came in and saved me. And then like the next day, another guy comes up to me. He's like, show me your penis. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm just like, oh my God, what do I, I do? You picture the deadpan. Oh, that was dude. Dalton Schultz to our freshman yeah. class. It was so good. Yeah. So he would stand like oh, this far from your face mm -hmm. and say something that was like really funny. Yeah. But also you just didn't want to be the one and other receiving end of it. Because it would be one of those lose lose situations. Right. Like, no doubt. There's no correct, there's there's no really correct response. Whatever you say, you're getting ripped. Yeah. And I would also, I, I need to bring up Turley. So Coach Turley. Shannon Turley, he was our strength coach for all five years when I was there. I have never feared um, a human being more ever. And I actually saw him last year at Daniel Marks' wedding. And I remember when I saw him, like that pit in my stomach was still there. I was, I was just, at what, 28, 28? Yeah, I was like a 27 year old, 28 year old. And I was just like, oh my God, I'm still, this guy still strikes the fear of God. And, and you know, eventually I go up and talk to him after having, you know, like, couple beers <laughs> he's in, and I was like coach and he's like the nicest he's like Conrad how are you you remember when I was at business school like just the best dude um but that all started when I was a freshman and I remember my first week of camp we had muscle milks back in the day in our um, weight room fridge so I go down um so I'm trying to gain weight like I'm 160 pounds like I want to get bigger, you know, like Shane Scove. And so you're this close. You want like, muscle milk yeah, I'm so close. So I was eating and I was drinking muscle milk every night before bed because I actually had talked to the strength coaches. Like, Hey, I want to gain weight. So like, okay, we need more calories, etc. So I go down and I open up the fridge to get a muscle milk and I hear someone say, Conrad. And I turn around and it's coach Shirley. So I like run over there to him. Cause you know, I'm just, I want to do everything right. And he says, what are you doing down here? And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a muscle milk. And he's like, Look at the fridge. And in him yelling at me, I hadn't closed the fridge all the way 
because I, you know, jumped. He's a professional. And he's like, and he just goes, looks at me, and he's like, well, and so I sprint over, close the fridge, run back to him, and I say, I'm so sorry, coach. That's totally my fault. And he says, you know what you are? You're an entitled fuck. <laughs> and I was just like, I can hear it now. I was just silent. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, you're an entitled fuck. Say I'm an entitled fuck. And I'm like, oh, well, what? He says, say I'm an entitled fuck. I say, I'm an entitled fuck. He's like, you're right. Get out of here. And I run out. And that was my first one-on-one -on -one reaction, interaction with Coach Turley. And that just set the tone, dude. So I don't want to cut too far ahead or jump anything, but freshman year, you're still this preferred walk-on. Yeah. You're scholarship-less still. Yeah. You didn't travel. You redshirted with, along with probably nearly everyone in your freshman yeah, class. pretty much. Um, and Jordan Williams was the kicker at the time, right? What was the bowl game your freshman year? Freshman year, we were Rose Bowl. We played Wisconsin, and we won 20 to 14. Okay. Yeah. So that's a great start. Instant Rose Bowl, right? Sick, dude. How does it go? At, at what point do you start getting considered for some playing time? When yeah. does it become a competition? When are you even crossing someone's mind as somebody who might earn a scholarship? Right. I end up my sophomore year being the backup kicker and the backup punter. So I was the backup kicker to Jordan Williamson, the backup punter to Ben Ryan. Since I was the backup, I got to travel with the team to all the games. Yeah. And then a couple games into the season, Jordan Williamson gets hurt. And I remember this was on a Friday, he gets hurt in one of our like little practices. And so I'm just thinking, oh my God, I need to kick tomorrow against UCLA. And this was with Brett Hundley. Like, UCLA was yeah. super good. Yeah. Was, um, it, was this game at UCLA in the Rose Bowl? It was at Stanford. That's it. Um, and so, you know, I go from, you know, chilling, lighthearted Conrad to now, oh my God, I need to kick on national television tomorrow. I think we were in the top 10. They were in the top 25 yeah. in like a top 25 mashup on ESPN. Sure. Prime time. Oh yeah. And just not, not prepared at all. And honestly, dude, I think that was good. Was that a wake up call of like this backup living in La La Land life is not sustainable? No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. I was just totally going through the motions and practice. I would just show up and I would just kick the ball. And now it was like, oh my God, this really matters. Yeah. And so I go out and it, I remember it's just such a blur. Those 24 hours, I was so nervous, but it was kind of a semblance of, you know, the quarterback gets hurt in a game. The backup comes in and does well that game because they don't have time to think about it. But then the next week they struggle because they've had a week to think about it. It was kind of a semblance of that. So it happened late in the week. I'm just like, oh my God, I'm kicking. So I go, I remember I run out first drive. I kick a 39 yard field goal on the right hash. I remember running out there thinking, oh my God, I'm kicking in a game. I have been doing well in practice, but like high school, I couldn't make anything. You know, and this is just two years removed, not that long. And I hadn't had any game experience. But of course that comes back in your mind. Oh yeah, dude, that's right back about. Where you, yeah. I run out, I look down at the holder, Ben Ryan, who's the man. And I remember he daps me up he's, and he just goes, it's easy. And I was like, it's easy. And I just take my steps, kick the ball, and it goes in. And I'm like, oh, my God. Let's go. It's easy. Yeah. Let's go. So yeah. I, end up, I end up kicking for the last um, eight games of the season, including the Pac-12 championship against Arizona State. We win pretty much all of those games, except for one game against USC. We go down. Um, I make one field goal. 
And then in the fourth quarter, I had a field goal blocked. Some like 6'10 dude broke through and just swatted it. And we ended up losing by three. And I remember that was my first real instance where it was like, oh my God, my performance directly impacted the outcome of this game and it's going to hurt our team. Did you have a bunch of friends at that game? Uh, so, that so many friends. Yeah. And you know, that was when Twitter was a thing too. And it's, it's so funny too, because you go in your Twitter mentions after the game and kicking is just such a visible position. Okay. You know, you know, you're at a bar and the kicker comes on and you have 30 seconds of just the camera on you. Right. And I remember I saw these tweets and it was from a bunch of dudes who I kind of knew and they were tagging me and they'd be like, oh, at Connor Nukrapina, Shank, stuff like that. I'm just like, dude, what the hell, man? Like we were just friends in high school. And so it was just a good wake up call that um, fans are fans and that's what it is. But we end up um, going on and winning the Rose, sorry, losing the Rose Bowl. Jeez, we win the Pac-12 championship. Michigan State. Michigan State. Connor Cook. Connor Cook. Yeah. Yeah. That was tough, but um, yeah, dude. So then go into my junior year and I don't play because Jordan and Ben are both back for their fifth years. I kicked one PAT the whole year. They both stay healthy, but this is my junior year claim to fame. I was Christian McCaffrey's host on his official visit my junior year. No idea why, but Coach Shaw calls me into his office. I'm a junior. I'm just like, oh my God, why am I being called into Coach Shaw's office? Like you, you remember. It's he never was, a good thing. He's a pretty hands-off coach. Also, it never happens. Yeah, I, I'd never been called into his office in three years. He calls me in. I'm just like, oh my God, what? Your brain. You're just, what? It's like, sure, I'm asking something up at some point. Like, what did I do, dude? <laughs> yeah. He says, hey, Conrad, how are you? I'm like, I'm good. How are you? He says, hey, we have a really important recruit coming. And I really need you to spend some quality time with this guy. Like, it's really important. And I remember thinking, okay, thank God, he's not, I'm not in trouble. Um, and this dude shows up and it's Christian McCaffrey. You know, we just call him Christian. He's like, what's up, I'm Christian. I'm like, hey man, I'm Connor, I'm your host. Like, what do you want to do? He's like, oh, let's just hang out. And then, so we're at this freshman dorm. Cause I just like, you know, wanted to jump campus and take him to, you know, we went to like some SAE party and hung out. and. He was just a man, so humble. I had no idea that he was the Gatorade Player of the Year at that point. Right? National. Yeah. Best player in high school. Just had no idea. And so the moment when I knew Christian McCaffrey was going to be Christian McCaffrey is we're in a freshman dorm, and there's a ping pong table. And so I say, hey, dude, do you want to play ping pong? He says, sure. I consider myself somewhat of a ping pong savant. You know, I grew up <laughs> playing you know, ping pong in Pasadena with my family. I was the like under 10 Altadena Country Club ping pong champion and I we pick it up. I'm man. cocky. I serve it to him. He just like slams it. And I lost 21 to zero. <laughs> yeah. He probably didn't smile. Probably didn't flinch. The dude, was like, I'm, this is, this is how this is going to go. The dude was just, he just has that like mode dude. And I used, to, I used to tell my friends from again, the one season that I overlapped with them is that when people describe athletes like Kobe, yeah. Michael Jordan, Ray Lewis, yeah. LeBron, sure. But guys who have this other gear, yeah. where they, they are so competitive and so intense. Yeah. It's, you could be on a, you're on a field full of 21 other very much locked in intense college football players. Yeah. And it, 
completely stands out, dude. When you're in this level. Just a whole... I could not agree more. Just, I've never even come close to that level, nor will I ever. And I remember then that summer, you know, he shows up. Obviously, he comes. And um, me and Ben are punting in over the summer practices. And Christian, like, catches one football catches another football, then he catches a third football, then he catches a fourth football, then he catches a fifth football. A true freshman. A true freshman. First of all, like, but it's just so confident to do. Like, no one, was, no one else was doing that. Yeah. Right? Like, everyone was just catching it, but he just kept going, and I was just like, holy shit. And just the way he moved, I remember thinking, like, ping pong theory confirmed. Yeah. This dude's going to be an absolute stud. <laughs> ping pong theory. Yeah. Um, and obviously he came in and did what he did and was just unbelievable. Back to Roy, where you said junior claim to fame. You didn't really play as a junior. Didn't play at all. Yeah. Not one kick. I had one PAT against UC Davis. I made it. Yeah, sick. 100% on the year. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so still no scholarship. Still no scholarship. And you're going, so senior, junior year ends. <laughs> the team finishes with what? Junior ends, the team finishes, I think we were nine and four or something. This is Foster Farms. This is Foster Farms Bowl. Yeah, so honestly, it let down. Yeah. So then it's spring ball. Now it's spring ball. And now, dude, like, now it's like, this is my time. This is it. Because I put in three years of my life into this program weightlifting, 6 a.m., games, traveling, uh, meetings, right? And this is a good time to ask. Yeah. Nobody knows what a kicker does. When they think of, it's such a time yeah. commitment to the yeah. college football. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like much closer to a full-time job in seasons. Yep. 30 plus hours totally. a week easily. Totally. Between totally. all the things you've listed. PT, yeah. meetings, mandatory meals, of course the actual practice, right. runs, weightlifting. Lifting. And the kicker and the specialists had to do all of the lifting, yep. of course, all of the running. I assume that's probably the case in most programs, but... So that takes a lot of time, of course, the meals. Yeah, for sure. But practice itself could be two plus, two and a half hours long. Yeah. <laughs> and not to mention your meetings, are you then watching run back the kicks the from kicks. practice? And, so, the, and the snaps and the punts. The amount of, like, Reed Miller long snaps that I've seen where it's literally just we're looking at, you know, his hands and where the ball goes. So technical. There, it, it's difficult to stay awake in a skill position meeting yeah. sometimes. It's difficult to stay awake in a full offensive team meeting. If I was forced, I, I don't think there's anything that would be a better sleep aid than to break down yeah. technical, <laughs> long snapping, oh holding, and kicking. Yeah. Dude, we had a small room, so you can't really doze off. Yeah. Coach Alomar kept us in line. Dude, so this is how it typically would go. So let's say it's, you know, a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, typical practice day. We would show up at, what was it, like 3 or 2.30 for meetings. You guys would have... I think two hours of meetings, right? And you watch, you're doing install, you're watching a practice, you're watching, you know, UCLA for playing UCLA, USC for playing USC. Getting a full scouting report, every right. player background. Versus, yeah. versus us, we're literally watching our kicks, you know, from the last game or from the last practice. So that last, you know, we Almar would make it go a little longer than it needed to be, but still, it wasn't two hours. It was like 30 minutes. And so then we'd get out, and we would have 90 minutes to two hours before practice. You can't leave and go do something, right? You have practice. So we play pool. Dude, we played so much pool. 
my in in college. Like so much pool. You'd think I'd be better than I am, but I've played like every version of pool, every type of pool game you can play, <laughs> just so many times. And I think I don't like pool because of it. <laughs> Dude, yeah, this well, is the only thing in the locker room. Dude, the specialist, I, I spent so little time in the player's lounge. Because yeah. it was like, if I were the play, if I have the time to hang out in the player's lounge, I'd rather be somewhere else on campus. Yeah. It probably yeah. means practice is over or there's a long enough break right. for me to leave. So I spent like no time there. Other guys, some guys would, maybe. Sure. But the specialist had like a hundred oh, times, two hundred times the yeah. hours logged in the player's yeah. lounge. I remember seeing people... You know, you guys would have the Norma Tech leg, legs on. <laughs> yeah. Getting that, what do you think, what was that, muscle compression? Yeah, like just compressing it. Compress and that's the only time we could do it because there'd be bigger dogs, you know, before and after practice who needed to do yeah, it. Yeah, like playing linebacker for two hours. Yeah. I remember we'd, we'd come down from meetings with specialists on, like, <laughs> the world's biggest bean bag with the Norma Tech legs on, yeah. probably betting on who's going to beat the other puncher in a, in a game of pool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, so we played a lot of pool, and then we got to practice, and a lot of it was honestly, like, prepared me, I think, a little bit for my corporate life world, because you just always had to look busy, <laughs> you know? And, you know, this is my advice for everyone who's starting a job, you know, you're always busy. Your boss asks you have stuff to do, you're busy. And so for us, we not only needed to look like we were busy to our coach, but we also, more importantly, need to look like we're busy to the other position groups. And so, dude, we did everything. We would do, like, literally, we'd spend 30 minutes when I was a punter just walking around, like, doing drops. I remember watching you guys do that just, and thinking, dude, occasionally <laughs> taking quarterback drops in these drills is boring. Walking and watching someone drop a football in front of themselves, yeah. not kicking it. Yeah. And then not picking kicking. it up and doing it again. Yeah. <laughs> that is... That's next level. Dude, because, and the, the root of that is kicking is a very muscle specific movement, right? You're, it's a very explosive movement that uses very specific muscles. So you need to find ways to do like low impact, non impact stuff. And a lot of that's pretty boring. So I would do a lot of drop drills when I was punting. And then my fourth and fifth years when I was only kicking, like I would literally get tape. And I would walk around the field and tape my exact steps. I would have a tape measure because I knew exactly mathematically how many inches my steps back would be, how many they were from the side, how many inches my foot should be from the ball. And I would mark tape on the field. And then I would go and like dry run my kicks and like visually think, okay, this kick is going in. And we do that for hours all the time. And we'll, we will come back to this, I know, yeah. but in addition to those hours in the field, the hours in the lounge playing pool, the hours in the meeting room, it's not yeah. like you didn't have any film to watch. Right. You spent a lot of time with inside a virtual reality headset as well. Yeah, that's right. So my fourth and fifth years, um, this company called Striver, founded by Derek Belich Kicker, a um, couple of years ahead of me, um, they would film our practices and then on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, before games, I would watch all those good field goals in VR and I would literally take my steps in the headset, just like I was um, kicking it in the game. And for me, it was like visualization on steroids. It was an extra practice that no one in the country was getting. And Big Cat from Part of My Take actually tweeted, maybe we can put it in the, in the bio or something, 
tweeted a picture of me and calling me a nerd. <laughs> I think the tweet was Stanford makes their kicker practice with VR goggles on as if he wasn't already a big enough nerd. Yeah. And it was a picture of you wearing our away <laughs> travel <laughs> Stanford sweater vest yeah. and khakis. Khakis and black shoes. In like an away meeting room. So it looks like he's in a classroom yeah. by himself. Standing in his full, like, having taken his steps, kicking position with VR goggles plugged into the wall. Dude. So, bring it back to your off-season before your senior year. It really is do-or-die time. You're still not on scholarship. You obviously had plenty of PT sophomore year. You made, you made one very important <laughs> point against yeah. UC Davis. Um, but it seems like there was an opening. There was an opportunity for yeah. you to do something. How, what was your mindset going into that off season? Yeah. So I, I was the only kicker on the roster at this time. And we had one punter named Alex Robinson. Great dude. Um, and so coach Alomar called us into his office and he says, Hey guys, look, we have one kicker and one punter. Like Conrad, you're focusing only on kicking now because I know you've been our backup kicker and punter the last three years, but we only have one dude for each. Alex, you're our punter for spring ball. We'll reevaluate in the fall. So I fully transitioned to just being the kicker. And uh, I go and have an awesome, awesome spring ball. Um, I think when we, we chart all of our field goals, meaning we you know track how we do, and I was like 94%. Wow through all 15 practices, 14 practices of spring ball with 15 being the spring game. And going through this, I know that Jake Bailey is coming in this fall on scholarship, which is pretty rare for a kicker. Usually he's coming in as a kicker. He's coming in as a kicker and puncher. So Jake was the number one ranked kicker and punter um, on like pretty much every website everywhere. And, you know, you obviously you don't, want to see that, but you see it, right? And um, turned out to not be all high piece. Now the starting punter for the Patriots. Yes. And so I know this dude's coming in. So I'm I'm just like, damn, I need to make every opportunity count. And so I go in with that mentality to the spring game and our spring game I remember was on ESPN because you know we had a couple of good years leading up to this. And I go out to kick my first field goal in the spring game, feeling pretty tight. And um, we, it was a 39 yard field goal on the left hash. I remember it exactly. And we have a bad snap, just like my first kick, my senior year of high school, exactly the same. Bad snap, it messes up our timing. I stop, I try to just one step and kick it and I miss it. And I think to myself, oh my God, like it's back. Like the yips are just, they're back. Whatever it was in high school, it's still in me. And I run out to kick a 45 yard field goal on the right hash, miss it to the right. And then I kick a 48 yard field goal right down the middle, miss it to the right. And I end up going over three. Right down the middle, you were positioned in the middle of the field. You still missed exactly. it. So you're over three. Exactly. Yeah. And kicking this on ESPN. Yeah, you're either on one half down the middle of the other. Pretty much, yeah, yep. with a little bit of error. But yep. So, yeah, so now I'm just, you know, this is on ESPN. I remember my family was up there because to support me, you know, because they know this is my time to earn a scholarship, and I blew it, dude. Like, I, this was the closest thing to a game 
that you could have. And I was so disappointed in myself. I was so distraught. And after the spring game, you have to sit and like sign stuff for fans, if you remember, right? Of course. Yeah. It's all these fans are coming up and they're like, oh, you know, you know, what happened on those field goals? Like, you know, and I'm just like, oh, you know, I just missed it. Like, it's all get better. Um, but I remember a bunch of people brought it up and I was just really down on myself. And more, more than anything else, I was scared that, you know, what happened in high school was going to come back. And even more so, I was like, damn, I just lost my scholarship. Like, this is it. I'm not going to just graduate from Stanford. I'm going to go and work in investment banking and football's over. Yeah. And so I go back to the locker room, dude. And there was a freshman named Bobby Okorecki. And he comes up to me. Shout out to Wop. Betty, dude. Great guy. And he comes up to me and he says, hey, man, like, are you good? And I said, yeah, dude. Like, you know, I'm fine. It's just, it was bad. And he goes, dude, we all have those days. We know you're the best damn kicker in the country. And he, like, daps me up and walks away. And I remember thinking, like, holy shit. I'm going to be a senior, a freshman just went out of his way to come up and like tell me that he's like got my back after I just had the worst performance of my life on national television in front of everyone. And he's going to come out of his way and, and say that. And that was one of the defining moments that switched my mentality where it didn't matter what happened. It, I didn't need to be outcome oriented. I just needed to be process oriented. And as long as I worked as hard as I possibly could, you know, Sunday to Friday, Saturday was going to take care of itself. And even if I did go out and miss all three field goals, just like I did in the spring game, the next day when I go back in the locker room, like the dudes are still going to have my back. Yeah. And I just tied so much like my performance to how my friends and my family and my teammates and my coaches and the training staff was going to view me. And I realized in that moment that like, no dude, if you are a super hard worker and do things the right way, like the outcome doesn't really matter. People are still going to have your back. They're still going to love you. They're still going to support you. And that just totally changed my outlook on kicking and honestly on life. And so I remember that next Monday I go and I sit down with coach Turley who, um, you know, in this moment was my biggest, biggest supporter. And I made a plan with him from, you know, like May 1 to September 1. And September 1, we were playing at Northwestern yeah. to kick off the 2015 season. Yeah. And I stuck to it, dude. And I kicked on the days I was supposed to kick. I recovered on the days I was going to recover. And that summer, um, we have our summer weightlifting and runs. And how it works is... Uh, on Monday, Thursday, we have team tech, which is practice at night, right? Obviously, you know that. And basically, at the end of team tech, so you've already done a lift, you've already done a run, then you've done a full practice. So now it's like 8 p.m., and you need to go out and kick a field goal. And the entire team circles around, and Coach Turley picks, you know, a random spot. It could be 55 yards. It could be 22 yards. You have no idea. And you need to go, and you need to make it. If you make the field goal the run the next day is significantly easier. If you miss the field goal, the run is significantly harder. And that summer I went 20 for 20 on those kicks. And um, dude, it was because of that moment. And it was because I missed those kicks in the spring game 
that I got that kick to be, okay, I need to reevaluate. You know, me preparing as the backup is not good enough anymore. You know, me having that mentality of I've got it. It's going to be fine. No, dude, I need to be really intentional in my preparation and I need to focus on the process and then I need to let the outcome take care of itself. And then that fall ended up setting the Stanford record for highest field goal percentage in a season. And, you know, that came four months after the worst performance of my life on ESPN. And I think, dude, that's just a testament to, like, one, I think everything in life happens for a reason. And you just got to keep your eyes open and you got to listen. And two, um, just focus on the process, man. Like, everyone in sports... And in business is so worried about the meeting and the presentation and the game. And dude, it's not about that. It's just about prep for it. The best way to mitigate um, anxiety is preparation. If you work, if you walk into a meeting prepared, dude, it doesn't matter if you're meeting with the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Um, if you're prepared, there's nothing to be nervous about. Right. And so that honestly, like that spring game where I missed those three field goals, that's the best thing that ever happened. And um, kicking is all, you know, what have you done lately? I think football is all, what have you done lately? You could be the best kicker in the world. You miss a kick in a big game. Everyone hates you. But it also goes the other way. You could be the worst kicker in the world and hit a game winning field goal. And that's all anyone remembers. (laughs) The, The kicking, the kicker position is so difficult and so uniquely difficult. In that when you're the quarterback, you get too much praise when things are good, mm. and you get too much blame when things are bad. I think that's a pretty good rule for your entire whether you're a youth quarterback or a college quarterback or a pro quarterback. When you're a kicker, it's like it's that, except it's with one play. It's just so few opportunities. Yeah, it's so few opportunities, and I think the way that you come to terms with that is you just focus on the process. And so, and again, that's what I learned in that, that off season dude. And so I have the same exact process, every single game, every single stadium, every single kick. And I got obsessed with the process because I was getting results from it. So literally how my process worked was um, I would kick like before the game, I would just zigzag back in pregame and keep the same amount of field goals every time. It didn't matter if I missed or made it. Made it. And then when the game was going, as soon as we crossed the 50-yard line, on first down, I would kick a ball into the net. On second down, I would kick a ball into the net. On third down, I would go and find my holder. I would dap up Dallas Lloyd, my holder, best holder in the world, even better person. And we would always say, hey, man, it's just like practice. Yeah, literally every time, the same time. And then we'd run out there. I would take my steps. I would look at Dallas and I would say, let's ride. And then I'd kick the ball. And it was just like, you get so just indoctrinated into this process that, dude, it just, the outcome just fully takes care of itself. And I would just really encourage kickers, punters, snappers to try to try this. And people in other things like, Dude, just let the outcome take care of it and just worry about getting there. And, dude, it's going to be fine. So, spring game happens. What's next? So, I think we're picked to come in the top three in the Pac-12. We're entering the season ranked. 
And so we just thought we were going to rule Northwestern. It's like it's Northwestern. We're going to kill him. Um, and we come out so flat. I remember. I watched it. We end up, I remember first drive, Hogan drives us down, and I kick a, I run out, I do my process, and I kick a 34-year-old field goal, and it goes in, and I'm like, all right, I'm good. Like, I made my first kick. It's not like the spring game. It's not like my senior year of the high, sc- high school. Like, my first kick went in. I'm locked. We end up losing 16-6. to six. I scored all of our points on two field goals. Not very impressive. And I just remember thinking, oh, my God. Like, this is going to be a repeat of last year. It's going to be a repeat of our Foster Farms year. I just really want to give a shout-out right now to Ronnie Harris. So Ronnie was the year ahead of me. He was a DB. He was a captain that year. Um, and he was like the heart and soul of our team. No doubt. The absolute man did everything the right way. Loved ball, loved his teammates. He, when I was kicking in practice, he would literally just stand right next to me and chirp. <laughs> Cause after the spring game, he just wanted me to be great. And he just, yeah. he's like, come on, Conrad, like, you think you can make this? Like, well, it's chirping, dude. Cause he knew that I wanted it. And I, afterwards, I told him, like, hey, I really appreciate that. Seriously. Because if I can make sure. somebody just yeah. chirping in my ear, like, I could probably go and make a field goal in the Rose Bowl. And so we lose Northwestern. Ronnie calls a team meeting that Sunday. We all come in, and he's like, hey, dude, like, we did not just grind, you know, the hardest six months of our life in the offseason to lose 16-6 to six in Northwestern. So we go out. Our next game is against University of Central Florida. Um, I think Blake Bortles had just – uh, left and we go out first quarter flat at zero zero and to end the second quarter I remember I run out to kick a 53 yard field goal on the right hash first kick of the game and I'm just like damn this is probably important like we're zero zero UCF we just lost to Northwestern and I remember I just come out do my process and just stroke it and it goes in 53 and the boys I remember we're just fired up dude like, we go to the locker room, and now we have some momentum, and we're, like, just ready to rip it. And um, I remember, like, screaming in the locker room, like, let's go. And we ended up winning, like, 31 to 7. We scored 28 points in the second half. Um, win. And uh, so I remember at this point, like, I'm the guy. You know, three of three, made all my PATs, done everything well. And so school's about to start. And I need to know if I'm on scholarship or not, right? Because scholarship pays for your books and pays for your housing. And I was going to need to make, you know, my parents make like a payment for tuition. And so the Monday after the UCF game, I muster up the courage to go into Coach Shaw's office. I walk in and I'm like, hey, Coach Shaw, it's Conrad, do you have a moment? And he just looks at me and he says, damn, you couldn't have waited another 30 minutes. And I'm like, what? And he's like, in the team meeting, Today, I'm going to announce that you're on scholarship. <laughs> oh, let's go. Yeah. And I was just like, I felt like an idiot. I was like, damn, I'm so sorry. Like, thank you. This is, <laughs> this is incredible. Like, thank you so much. This is amazing. This is a dream come true. I walk out. First call is my mom. I'm like, mom, I'm on scholarship. We did it. Like, thank you so much for going to the park with me all the time in high school and, you know, retrieving my ball, the balls when I'd kick them. And, um, and called my dad and was just so incredibly fired up. And then we go down to USC and they're ranked number four. 
And I remember first drive, I kick a 42 yard field goal. And I remember I was so nervous running out to kick it that I was like singing to myself. Cause I was mine's in another down. place. Yeah. I just was not on this planet. Yeah. I was singing, um, <laughs> I think like a green day song from high school, you know, I was like, just, just because I was just so nervous. I'm like, I'm in the Coliseum again, kicking against the number four team in the country. Um, make it. And then end of the game, we're up seven. I remember with a minute left, I get called out to kick a 48 yard field goal. And I remember thinking, if I miss this, Cody Kessler is going to drive them down. They're going to score a touchdown. It's going to go to overtime and we're going to lose. And so I remember I just thought I might as well just make it. And so I made it and then we (laughs) won by 10 and that was it. And then we had a great year from there, dude. Seems like these simple swing thoughts and the, maybe the simple self-talk occasionally yeah. is pretty good. So you said, you've not said what? it's easy, just like practice, just like practice. might as well make it and let's ride and let's ride. That's it. That's it. That's all you need, dude. That's pretty good. That's it. What were some of the other high points in that season that you remember? Just if you rattle them off. Dude. So, uh, we'll start with, we go up to Washington state. Yep. And uh, Washington State's unranked. It was, was this on Halloween. Halloween. Yeah, on Halloween, yeah, yes, yes. On Halloween, a friend's house. I remember. So we go down. Two things I want to say about this game. One, it was hailing so hard that they almost moved the game to Sunday. And it's a turf field. Like it was insane weather in Pullman, Washington. And my dad went to Washington State. Right. That's yeah. my second favorite team down the Pac-12 after Stanford. And um, so he had all of his buddies there and, you know, they're all talking over the game, like go Cougs and the stuff reunion like that. For your dad. Reunion for him, ton of people up there. And the game was super, super flat. I remember Hogan like rushed for two touchdowns and we end up being down by two with a minute and a half left. Hogan drives us down and I kick like a 26 yard field goal to put us up. I remember it was just like raining so hard that the water was literally coming sideways into my like face. And when you go to these away games, dude, as a kicker, the kicking net stays in the same spot the whole game, which means the fans that you're next to are the same fans the whole game. And so they just chirp you the whole game. It doesn't matter if you're at Washington State, Oregon State, Oregon, Utah, Notre Dame, like they see your name on the back of the jersey, Ukrapina. They look you up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. They're Googling you. Um, you know, they're yelling your parents' names, you know, on your Stanford, you know, go Stanford bio and everything. And I remember that game, there were these dudes who were just chirping the whole time. <laughs> and it's a thing where you can't acknowledge them because as soon as you do, you're screwed. Like they're going to be chirping you the entire game. So I remember I told all of your younger kickers, like, dude, if anyone trips you, you cannot acknowledge. Because if you do, you're toast. Do not engage. Do not engage. Yeah. And so I remember I go down, I make that field goal, and then their kicker comes out, and he was four for four on the night already. He had to make a 45-yard field goal on the left hash. And if he makes it, we win. We wouldn't have gone to the Rose Bowl that year. And I remember we call a timeout. The kicker goes to the student section and starts going like this. And I remember I turned to uh, Alex Robinson, our puncher, and I'm like, he's missing it. He's missing it. Should, like, should, like, 
That's not part of the process. That's not part of the process, dude. <laughs> Don't get fired up with the student section on Halloween when you're trying to kick a game-winning field goal. He misses it. We win. And I run back to the fans, I remember, and I just blew him a kiss. I don't know why, <laughs> but that just felt appropriate. And they were like, you know, F you, F you, dude, flipping me <laughs> off and stuff. And I remember one of them messaged me after the game, and he just said, LOL. On Instagram, on, like, Instagram like, DM'd me, and I, I saw him. It was like, obviously, him. so I was like, okay, he's being a good sport. Um, were there ever any times at any stadium where you had to legitimately hold back laughter because the chirps were pretty funny? Oh, my sophomore year, we played at Army, and they somehow got a bunch of dudes' girlfriends, you know, just like Facebook, and they made, like, fat heads, like, blow-up heads of their girlfriends, and the, all the cadets were, like, holding them up. That's pretty good. Which was pretty good. Yeah. That season ends with a massive Rose Bowl victory. Yeah. Things could not have been rolling any better, I wouldn't think. Yeah. At that point. I mean, I had... I had out of nowhere, got in contact about Stanford that October, literally five days before this Washington State game. Oh, no way. Yeah. Out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, from practice and had a Twitter DM from QB, the QB room, essentially. Yeah. Um, from Tavita and Picasso. Picasso. Out of nowhere. Like, I was in your, your recruiting yeah. journey. My mirror is yours in a lot of ways. Yeah, like, it's awesome. I thought I was going to the a 100%. Yeah. Out of nowhere. Get this message. So, um, I just remember being so, I, and then I had just gotten, I did the application, got in on like December 11th and like the day, day later, two days later, I called him and was like, Man. so my yeah. Stanford engagement as a recruit yeah. was like a 45 day whirlwind. The entire thing happened from first point of contact to I'm committed, you know, part of this recruiting class was so quick. So I was so locked in on yeah. the New Year's Day game yeah, to watch you guys destroy Iowa. Yeah. And things like could not have been more fun. And not to mention, so super important that we don't cross over this one. <laughs> Getting to that Rose Bowl was a game against Notre Dame. Yeah. That was a game that I visited for as a recruit yeah. in November. Yeah. Notre Dame was number four. Yeah, I think so. Did you three or four? Four. In the country that Sean Kaiser quarterback yeah. stud. Um just well-rounded, super formidable team to be shown. Incredible team. And uh, game came down to the wire, and it was up to you to make a kick yeah. to win the game on senior night. Yeah. Tell the people what they want to hear. Dude. Tell them the Notre Dame yeah. kick story that oh, man. may or may not have been a sliding door moment for the rest of your life. Yeah, it absolutely was, and definitely told the story a couple of times, um, and I love doing it. And... Um, so, yes, yeah, so it's senior night. It's uh, Thanksgiving week. Um, it was just a huge, huge game, right? And we knew it had implications for them. If they won, they would go to the national championship, right? Because top four go. And if we, the, the college football playoff. College football playoff, yeah. excuse me. Yeah. And uh, we knew that if we won, I think if, if North Carolina beat Clemson in the ACC championship, then we would have gone as a two-loss team, because we lost to Northwestern and Oregon. Oregon, I don't want to talk about, but um, but we had a chance. So we were like, dude, this is huge. We want to send Stanford, obviously, to the college football playoff. And senior night, stadium sold out. Um, and it was just a back-and-forth game. Like, I, 
I still see the game sometimes Good randomly on like Fox Sports. Dude, it's it was one of the best college football games. Yeah. Dude, the last, like, decade. It was awesome. It, was incredible. It, it just has everything. It has you know, McCaffrey and Hogan and you know their defense already. Hogan's defense last home game at Stanford. Hogan's last home game at Stanford. Senior just, night. Such a stud. Yeah. Senior night. Um, I remember there was about 90 seconds on the clock. And I go back to the sideline and I go to our punter, Alex Robinson, and I say, hey, dude. And you can ask him. He can attest. I said, hey, dude. Like, I just have a feeling that they're going to go down and score. And then I'm going to kick a field goal over by the game. No way. Straight up. Yeah. 100% happened. Like, just wild. And just for context, too, dude, like, this is game 12 of what would be a 14-game season, right? 14 with the Pac-12 championship and the Rose Bowl. And so at this point, like, you're just rolling, right? It's You've done this for 12 weeks, like, day in, day out, all the practices, all the VR, all the, you know, tape work in practice. Um, and so you're just kind of rolling. If this was the first game of the season, I feel like it would feel much different than game 12. Yeah. Right. And so I remember, um, you know, first down, uh, Kevin gets face masked. Then we get a first first down from that. Then he throws the ball to Kajusa over the middle. And I remember this was the first time in my career when I was taking my kicks into the net that there was a camera just right in my face. Just right, huge, you know, one of the huge cameras just right in my face. And I had to think, like, damn, they're probably, like, showing me on TV right now. This is weird. You know, it's kind of just, like, a weird thing to think about. And so I remember I run out, I take my steps, and I see that there are six seconds on the clock. So I'm thinking that I'm going to kick the ball and then I'm going to have to kick off. And so I go out, I take my steps, I say, let's ride, and Brian Kelly calls a timeout. I remember running back to Coach Alomar. I remember, like, throwing a shotgun because I'm just, like, trying to stay chill. Yeah, I thought that was going to be on TV. Just force the chill. Like, just force the chill. Yeah, dude, fake it till you make it, right? I remember I throw the shotgun. I'm like, dude, I'm chilling. Coach Alomar and I talk about who knows why. He's probably just, like, you know, kick the ball. Like, there's nothing to talk about. I remember running back out, me taking my steps, saying, let's ride. And like, that's all I remember. I kind of remember the ball touching my foot. And when it hit my foot, I remember thinking like, oh, that feels pretty good. And at this point, I've kicked so many footballs that once the ball touches my foot, I know if it's going in or not. Right? Like just when you throw a pass coming off your fingers, you know if it's going to be good or not. As soon as the ball touches my foot, I know if it's in. And all I really remember is like the feeling of the ball touching my foot. And then I remember looking up and seeing the ball go in. And I remember my first thought was, wow, that's, that's cool. (laughs) That's cool. It went in like, I I just, because I was just so in this like mode of, you know, it it doesn't matter. I need to just focus on this process. It's going to take care of itself. And so I'm just like, oh man, like that's pretty cool. It went in. And then next moment, Josh Garnett, our, you know, 330-pound guard is, like, picking me up. And I remember just thinking, like, dude, we need to kick off. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, so I'm not really celebrating. And then eventually I look at the clock and, you know, they just run it out because just everyone had stormed the fields. And then this is where I think you'll like it. So I remember thinking, this is probably going to be on TV. Probably. I wasn't sure. I was like, this will probably be on TV. So I should probably like show my face. You know, like that'd be pretty cool for the pictures. (laughs) So I take off my helmet. 
because the I wore it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I take off my helmet because I was thinking, like, dude, it'd be cool to like have my face on TV. Yeah. Because everything's with a helmet. So I take it off, and then I remember thinking, like, dude, it'd be cool if I like pointed. I don't know, dude. I was just in a different world, and so I like point. And if you like Google my name, the first picture that comes up is me like pointing. I wasn't pointing at anyone, dude. Was not wasn't pointing at anyone. At all, but it's just like me going like this. Yeah, dude. That kick didn't happen like that night. That kick happened at the spring game six months before. That kick happened every pressure kick over the summer. And one cool thing is, you know, we talked about I would do VR before games. The first kick on my VR playlist that I would watch Thursday, Friday, Saturday before games was 45 yards right down the middle. The Notre Dame kick was 45 yards right down the middle. And, dude, if you put them next to each other, they look identical. And so call it whatever you want, but I think that's when preparation meets opportunity, and that's just doing something very consistently and focusing on the process, and it worked out. Um, And it was awesome, man. It was awesome. Great to share it with my teammates, and, uh, dude, it was the best. I strong the field. Hell yeah. I think my parents may have strolled on the field. Yeah. We were there every awesome. I talked to KJ about it in the first episode. Yeah. Like, yeah. We were running on the field. We were in the locker room after the game. It was insane. And that picture of you pointing, isn't that in the locker room yeah. forever? It is. Yeah. That's it's in the locker room and it was in uh it was the first page of Sports Illustrated that next week. So the cover was like LeBron and then he opened up his it's me. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it's me just pointing, dude. <laughs> Insane. <laughs> so funny. Championship happens. Rose Bowl happens. How did that go? Went awesome. Rose Bowl, uh, my dad got 250 tickets. I'm from Pasadena. <laughs> yeah, 250. And That's if you listen girl. to the broadcast of the Rose Bowl, Brent Musburger actually came down before the game. I was warming up. He came up and he said, Conrad. And I was like, hi, Brent Musburger. Like, I used to listen to you on, you know, NCAA football, (laughs) you know, and he said, you know, you're from Pasadena, right? I said, yeah. And he's like, oh, like, do you have people here? And I said, yeah, my dad bought 250 tickets. I just said 250 because I thought it was just, and it was a high number. And in the broadcast, when I kicked a field goal, he says, you know, and Conrad's from Pasadena and his dad has 250 tickets and like hands (laughs) to my family. It's so funny. That is so great. Um, Hope you got that saved Rose Bowl, never been more nervous before a game, though. I threw up, like, three times. Really? You are a puker. Yeah, dude. I threw up probably before, like, half of my games, and the games that I threw up before, I always did really well. How far before the game were you, were you puking? I was puking, like... Pre-warm-up, post-warm-up? I was puking post-warm-up. And then for me, once the first play happened, it was good. Yeah. Like, you, go, you get the first kickoff, I'm ready to roll. Yep. But I remember at Colorado, my senior year, I before games, I wasn't really good at eating because I was so nervous. Yeah. And so I would, I remember Coach Turley told me just to drink orange juice because it has sugar and nutrients and stuff. And so I only sure drank orange sick. juice. Yeah. I only drank like six cups of orange juice before the Colorado game. And the game was at like, you know, 10 a.m. Mountain Time. And um, you know, I'm like, all right, guys, let's go. And I'm just like, oh, shit, I'm going to throw up. So I go, and I don't make it to the bathroom, and I puke all over my white jersey. And so I just have, like, orange juice throw up all over my jersey in the Colorado game, and I end up having an awesome game. Like, 
ball out, made all my kicks. Nerves out early. Got him out early. It's, uh, fifth year comes. I do well. I think I make like 88% of my field goals. I was 90% my senior year. Um, kicked 27 field goals my fifth year. Um, for context, I kicked 20 my fourth year. So like Coach Shaw definitely trusted me. Kicked a lot of long field goals, which was fun. Uh, ended up beating Mitch Trubisky in the... Um, Sun Bowl. Sun Bowl. El Paso, Texas. El Paso, Texas. Who could Epic forget? You were there. I was there. And uh, I was the... I made four field goals. And I was the special teams MVP. And since I had learned from the Notre Dame moment, I remember, okay, I need to kind of be a showman. Because that way you'll, like, get pictures and stuff and people will care about it. So I like got the special teams MVP trophy and I just like throw it above my head. I remember that. Yeah. And all the, yeah, all the like Sun Bowl like girls are running there. like, what the hell is this kicker doing? <laughs> um, but dude, it's just as a kicker, you gotta, when you get your opportunities, you gotta take them. And I think that doesn't just apply to kicks. That applies to like the media, right? Cause outside of that, they don't care. Yeah. They want to talk to McCaffrey. And Seize your moment for yeah. sure. So for all the kickers, dude, when you make a kick, Take your helmet off, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Point at nothing. Yeah. Why not? Dude? Here's the trophy. Yeah, totally. Yeah. We kind of flew through the fifth year. What was it like being a fifth year at that point? Did it feel like you'd been with the program a million years? Yeah, I felt like I was secure and I'd come off such a good year in my fourth year that I was just like, the job was mine. I just needed to like do what I had done. Um, and I started getting a lot of stuff from agents that year. And so they're not allowed to call you in season, but they can like write you letters or something. There's like some weird loopholes. I would get like letters from dudes all the time from all these different agencies. And I thought I was like, for sure going to play in the NFL because all at this point dude, in your career, like all anyone talks to you about when you're at home for Christmas, when you're at home for Thanksgiving, when you're at home for Easter, um, your friends, like your the agents, all they tell you is like, wow, you're going to be the best NFL kicker. That's all anyone talks. You go home, you're like, oh, it's Connor the kicker. Like that's your identity. And they all just hype you up, hype you up. And so I thought at this point, like, oh my God, I'm going to play in the NFL for 10 years. Did you feel cocky or did you feel like, I can't believe that there's this much hype around me? I think it was more the latter, for sure, because um, I've always been a confident person, but I don't think I've ever been cocky, and I've been humbled so many times, like in high school and in the spring game, that I don't think I had enough room to be cocky. I finished my fifth year, I get an agent, and um, I was one of four kickers who got invited to the 2017 NFL Combine. And I learned that I was the number one ranked field goal kicker and I was unranked as a kickoff guy. And a part of that is Jake Bailey and I had been switching off a lot throughout those last two years on kickoffs. He had a much bigger leg than me. I learned, so I go to the NFL Combine. It was myself, uh, Harrison Butker, who yeah. has won two Super Bowls with the Chiefs. Yeah. Jake Elliott, who has a Super Bowl ring with the Eagles. Eagles yeah. And then Zane Gonzalez, who started with the Browns, um, went to the Cardinals, and now he's on the Carolina Panthers. So it's literally me and then three dudes, like two of whom have Super Bowl rings, all three of whom are still in the NFL. And then there's like the ugly duck, Conrad. <laughs> but so I go to the combine and how the combine works. Comments, NFL comments, insane. Like just, I've never been to anything like it. It's just the craziest eight days of your life. Basically, 
You have seven days of interviews. You get interviewed by all 32 NFL teams. You have testing. So you take some tests, like the Dallas Cowboys have their own like IQ tests that you have to take. And so you take all these tests and then you get medical examinations from all 32 NFL teams. And they'll ask you stuff like, do you drink alcohol? And it's like, yeah, like I want to call it, you know what I mean? And just all these mind games and just two funny things. Like one, the special teams coach for the Arizona Cardinals asked me how far I could kick a pencil. And he like, I was like, oh, I could probably, you know, kick it and hit you know, that wall. So, oh, really show me. And he like held the pencil and I like, kicked it legitimately. In, a, in an empty room. In like an empty room, in like a meeting room with just him and the Cardinals people. Just absurd. And one guy, I think it was for the Browns. Did you take your full steps? Oh, yeah, dude. I was showing off. <laughs> I kicked it. Process. Uh, process. And one dude from the Browns, like, pulled out my private Instagram and pulled up a picture from my sophomore year with my ex-girlfriend and was like, are you still dating this girl? Like, what's going on? What's going on in your love life? And I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> I'm a kicker, dude. Just ask me if I can make field goals and kick off, right? So it was just absurd. And they're just getting into everything. And we sit down to take the wonder lick. And let me tell you, like, there were some dudes who just were, like, blatantly cheating and just not, you know. Not, not interested in, in taking the one look probably in the first place. Yeah. And just, you know, the guys just do not follow the rules, right? I remember, so Leonard Fournette, he was in my draft class. Uh, you weren't allowed to have any outside guests, like, in the hotel or in Indianapolis Cold Stadium. Like, at all? Like, not at all. No. Like, no. And it's just, you're there for the combine. Yeah. But Leonard Fournette, he just had, like, a crew of dudes. Like, how many? Like, like, like five to ten dudes at points <laughs> who were just, like, there with him. His entourage. Yeah, and they, like, weren't just wearing street clothes, like, just walking around with him. And I'm just like, <laughs> why in the world are there, like, ten dudes in Indianapolis? Like, the dude went to LSU. That doesn't make any sense. Like, just does not make any sense. But they're just, like, there, dude. And I was like, okay, like, sure. So... So you have eight days, and then the last day of the combine is like the skills day, and it's kind of you know segmented where each people go different days. And so the last day is where we finally get to kick. Yeah. And at four a.m., we're supposed to kick at eight a.m. At four a.m., we get knocks on our door that all of the kickers, punters, and snappers have random drug tests. And it's like none of us are juicing for we're going to go kick field goals. Like that doesn't make any sense. It was totally just to throw us off. 100%. We get up, we have to wait and sit in this line for like an hour, you know, give them our urine to do this drug test. Then, you know, it's like, now it's like 5.30 and you have to kick at 8. And so it's like, do I go back to sleep? Well, now I'm just already so nervous. Like, I can't go back to sleep. Were you sleeping before that knock on the door? Or were, you a, were you ever a, a sleepless guy before big kicks, before big games? Dude, great question. So before every game, I would drink NyQuil. You would. Yeah. Just knock yourself just out. Just knock myself out because I knew if I didn't, I would just stay up. Yeah. And so in hindsight, after listening to Dr. Andrew Huberman, uh, I would definitely not take NyQuil and do more natural stuff. But um, yeah, I would take NyQuil. And so I woke up at 4 a.m. and I was so drunk, groggy. So I remember, I, you know, obviously taking the sleep stuff. And, you know, so now it's like, okay, well, I guess I should go and like roll out and get ready to kick. Yeah. Every single coach at the NFL Combine had said, Conrad, you're the number one field goal kicker on our board. We don't even need you to kick field goals. We're only here to see you kick off. And leading up to the NFL Combine, I kind of knew this. And so 
I had gone and trained with a bunch of different trainers. Uh, I went down to San Diego. I went to Birmingham, Alabama. Um, I saw all these different dudes to try to like fine tune and get my kickoffs to the next level. And honestly, dude, in hindsight, it hurt way more than I helped. And I, if I would have just not done anything, stayed at Stanford, kicked by myself, I honestly think I would have had a much better shot of making the NFL because I changed my kickoff form. And because of that, I wasn't comfortable. And so I remember I kicked off good, but I kicked one kickoff out of bounds. So how it works is you kick four down the middle, four directional right, four directional left. And my first directional left, I kicked it out of bounds. And I was just like, damn, that's it. you can't do it. For context, Harrison Bucker, he's like 6'4". He was kicking him like through the uprights, like just next level. And how did you do on the field goals? Field goals, I went 25 of 25, made all of them. Nobody else made all of them. Nobody else made all of them. Supposedly, the lore is that no one in the combine history has made all of them. Yeah. You go back to like 56 in the middle. So it works as you start, you know, in the front right, and then you kind of zigzag back, and then you end 56 in the middle. Um, and I made all of them. And again, dude, the lesson here is I made all of them because it didn't matter. Yeah. Like everyone instead, you're the best field goal kicker. You don't even, we don't even care. But everyone was like, kickoffs, kickoffs, kickoffs. And I put too much pressure on myself and I changed my form and I got in my head and I didn't kick off well. And so I end up not getting drafted. NFL draft comes and goes. I end up getting signed by the San Francisco 49ers. And this starts like the most tumultuous year of my life, like the hardest year of my life, hands down. So I go to the 49ers. I'm there. I kick super well, super prepared, make all my kicks. And they sign Robbie Gould to like a five-year contract who the kicker at the Bears before that. So Kicking legend. So yeah, they, you're gone. You're gone. Yep. So how it works is when you're released in the NFL, your name goes on like the waivers and you can immediately get picked up by another team. So I remember I fly from there to um, the Washington, then Redskins, kick really well there. They re-signed Dustin Hopkins, who was their kicker for the last few years, so I get released. Gone again. I go from there to the Atlanta Falcons. They keep stick with their guy. I get released, and then they go to the Kansas City Chiefs. So I'm in the Kansas City Chiefs training camp in the preseason of 2017, and it's me and Harrison Butker. And we're in St. Joe's, Missouri, at like Western Missouri College or something. Super windy. And Harrison just had a bigger leg than me, dude. And I remember I made more field goals than him in camp. But his kickoffs, like he could kick off into the wind and kick touchbacks. And I would hit him to like the goal line. And so they end up signing him. And, dude, there is no more lonely place than being a like fringe NFL player. You know, people think of the NFL as like Tom Brady making all this money. It's glorious. But when you're a fringe NFL player, you have zero friends. No one cares about you. The coaches don't care about you. The equipment staff doesn't care about you. The other players don't care about you because in the preseason in the NFL, it's a 90-man roster, right? So they can like bring dudes in and out pretty uh, It's probably revolving door that whole it's just preseason. Totally. Time. Yeah. Totally. And then in the regular season, it drops down to 53. So... You know, guys don't want to make friends with the backup kicker. Like, why would they? Um, I will say the two dudes who are the nicest to me was one Colt McCoy. His locker was next to mine when I was in Washington. 
And then two is Patrick Mahomes for sure. Really? Yeah. The man. Just such a good dude. Says a lot. So nice. Yeah. yeah. You know, at this point, he was a first-round draft pick and never played an NFL game. I remember at the NFL Combine, I walked up to him just with dudes, you know, just being funny Conrad. And I was talking to him, and he was like, I was like, oh, you know, what's your name? He's like, oh, I'm Patrick. I was like, oh, nice. Where'd you play? He's like, Texas Tech. He's like, oh, sick. What position do you play? He's like, oh, I play quarterback. And I was like, same. And he laughed. <laughs> yeah. He thought that was funny when, you know, it's obviously it was not a quarterback based on my stature. But um, so I like to think we're friends. That happened. I get released from the Kansas City Chiefs right before um, the season starts. And kind of a crazy moment happened that we'd love to share. Um, so when you get cut, it's like the GM, te- they text you say, hey, you need to go to the GM's office. And that means you're cut. So every morning you kind of like wake up and check your phone frantically. You know, do I have a text or whatever? And... Um, you know, I get the text, I go in and they say, basically, you know, okay, where do you want us to fly you? Cause I'll fly you anywhere back home. And, and my family was in Seattle at the time. And so I'm like, okay, just fly me to Seattle. And I just couldn't, like, this was the fourth time being released from the fourth team. And I had so much pressure on myself. I wanted to make it right. This was supposed to be my dream. And I'm wearing all my Kansas City Chiefs gear, and there had been an article written like that week, you know, like kicking battle in Kansas City, blah, blah, blah. And it like wrote about me. And I'm sitting in the Kansas City airport, and I'm like, damn, I think I need to call my mom and tell her that I'm like flying to Seattle because I'm going to go see them. And I just like start crying um, because it just kind of all came out, dude. Like when you're trying to make these NFL teams, like every kick matters, every lift matters, everything matters. You don't want to say the wrong thing in a meeting and look like an idiot because then maybe they'll cut you. It's just so much pressure. It's just a different level, you know, when you're trying to make it than from college. And I think all that pressure just kind of came out because I was so sad. Like, fuck, I've been cut fourth time from the fourth team. Like, I was supposed to be this NFL kicker. I'm supposed to be the guy. Like, this is my identity. I'm Conrad the kicker. And... I'm like crying in the Kansas city airport. And I remember this flight attendant comes up to me, true story. And she says, excuse me. Like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. I'm so sorry. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm like crying. I'm like wiping away tears. And she says, are you Conrad Yucrapina? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yes, I am. And she says, oh, like, did you just get cut? Yeah, yeah, I did. I'm like kind of in shock. Like, wiping my cheeks. Like, this is so weird. The Kansas City fans are next level. Yeah, okay. Um, and she goes, It's okay, sweetie. Like, I have seen many people in here as a flight attendant get released. And then I see them next week and they're playing on another NFL team. And I just remember thinking, like, Oh my God, <laughs> dude. This lady, like, just went out of her way, spoke to some random dude who she doesn't know, and tried to make me feel better. Like, tried to comfort me. Wow. And I know it doesn't sound like that wild, but just just in the context of the moment, it absolutely changed my life. And I just remember right then, I was like, oh, my God. Football doesn't matter. Relationships matter. Like, people matter. There's so much more to life than football. And I just want to be a good person and support my friends and support people around me because that lady just did it to me who I will never see Right. And I think that was the start of my journey to help me like 
get over being Conrad the kicker yeah. and becoming like Conrad the human, like Conrad the person who wants to be a good brother, teammate, friend. Um, and yeah, man. So that was just really, really impactful for me. So shout out that lady wherever she is. You are the best. Wow. And so I end up moving um, to San Francisco. I start working for Strider, the VR company that would film our practices. And I would work from you know, like 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. And then I would go and kick. And I did that from August of 2017 until March of 2018. Um, during that time, I had one offer to go and kick for the Canadian football team that Johnny Manziel was on. It was like Calgary something. Is the Calgary um, Stampede? I think that's right, yeah. Yeah. Whatever team Johnny Manziel was on. Something like that. And I remember I considered it, and I was talking to my agent, and he's like, dude, I think you have a shot in the NFL still. Like, as soon as you go to Canada, like, that's it. You're a Canadian kid. You can never get out of that. So I decided to just keep training. And, dude, it sucked. Like, I would literally go, and I would kick the ball on Stanford's campus, and then I'm like, go and get it. Oh. I went from kicking with the Kansas City Chiefs in, like, Arrowhead Stadium to now I'm, like, kicking a football and getting it for, you know, eight months. Oh. And I just totally just fell out of love with the game because I realized that I love the teammates. I love the people. I don't love kicking. Like, I don't love kicking a football, but I love being with you in the locker room and, you know, having Shane Scove help me with my – bike chain and becoming friends with McCaffrey and Hogan and Barry Sanders and Dallas Lloyd and just all these awesome dudes. Um, and Zach Hoffpower and Reed Miller, right. And just everyone. And so I end up having one more tryout with the Arizona Cardinals in March of 2018. And dude, when you go to these tryouts, like there's like 15 kickers and they're all studs. They're all dudes have played in D one. A lot of them, have played in the NFL before and yeah. they're trying to get back in. And it's literally like every single one of those dudes could kick on an NFL roster. And it's just, who's going to show up that day and ball out. Yeah. And just like by ball out, I mean ball out, like, like be perfect. Six yard field goals. Perfect. Yeah. Kickoffs in the back of the end zone. It's just who's on like in golf, like who's just fluid hitting on all cylinders. I make it to the second day. They like release some dudes the first day, make it a second day. And then I don't make the team. They actually end up signing Young Ho Koo, who's kind of a Falcons kicker. Yeah. 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 So they took him, and he had he was a beast. And I remember I'm sitting in the Scottsdale, sorry, Phoenix airport, and I just remember thinking, dude, the last thing in the world that I want to do tomorrow on Monday is go and kick a football by myself on Stanford's campus. So I go on LinkedIn, and I'm like, okay, I know that I want to work on teams. I know that someday I want to start my own company. And I know that I want to learn about business. So I'm like, okay, consulting. Great. Checks all the boxes. Go on LinkedIn and I start messaging every single person with some sort of a Stanford connection that works at Bain, BCG, McKinsey. Eventually I find a partner at Bain who is like, yeah, I remember you from Stanford. Sets me up with a recruiter. I get an off-cycle interview at Bain. I use that interview to get an interview at BCG, which I use to get an interview at McKinsey. And then I start at McKinsey two months later um, in June of 2018 uh, as an analyst in the San Francisco office, just purely from like cold messaging people on LinkedIn. I'm there for two years from 2018 to 2020, and it's just like full consulting mode. And I really needed that because my identity was Conrad the kicker. You go home for 
Christmas. Oh, Connor, the kicker. Like the amount of times that I've heard in my life, dude, you know, I'm so shocked that you're not in the NFL. Like, or the amount of texts that I've gotten where a kicker misses a field goal. Even this past you year, the Dallas kicker. Yeah. You Bro, you would have made that they kick. Need you. Yeah. They need you. They, the Cowboys need you. I was literally getting this this past season, like 10 texts. Dude, the Cowboys, like, they need you. Do you are you are you ready? Are you ready? It's just like, dude. Ship has sailed. The ship has sailed. They don't need me. Yeah. And the fact that I was able to get a job at McKinsey really helped me mentally because it was, okay, you know, Connor the kicker is over. Now I can really latch on to this brand and team and thing that I can be proud of. And really, it really helped me move on. And um, when I started at McKinsey, there was inklings of having one more tryout. Um, I think it was with the Rams. And I said, no, I'd been at McKinsey for a couple of months and I could have gone down and done the tryout. I would have had to like leave the project that I was on and that would have been weird and go and kick. And I hadn't really been training the last month. So I said no. And that's when I realized like, yeah, I'm, I'm over it. So within McKinsey, you said you're on the tech team. That's right. Did they send you any work? Cool. Were you on Silicon Valley yeah. type cases? Like, yeah, dude. So I'm coming into McKinsey, San Francisco. So I think I'm going to be solving these, you know, world problems for Facebook and Twitter and Apple. So of course, you know, my second project, I get sent to Bentonville, Arkansas, uh, for Walmart, and uh, I'm there for six months. Uh, that was difficult, but I mean, I enjoyed it. I I love my team. I really like the consumer space. And so I got into it and I wanted to be a team player. During my six months there, Halloween came. Our manager, you know, sent out this this email to our group, you know, and hey, you know, on Tuesday is Halloween. Like maybe we should, you know, dress in something fun. In Bentonville. In Bentonville, Arkansas. So uh, we get, I, as the you know, most junior person, get us a dinner reservation at the nicest restaurant in Bentonville, which is called The Preacher's Son. It's in an old, like, refurbished church. It's kind of awesome. And it's Halloween. So I'm thinking, okay, you know, she said we're something fun. Like, I'm just going to bring my my Olaf from Frozen onesie that Pat McFadden had left in my apartment for some reason from the year prior, from the Halloween prior. So I had it. So, you know, I'm getting ready to, we, we finish the day. We're like, all right, let's meet at dinner at eight, go back to the hotel. And I'm like, all right, dude, I'm going to, I'm putting it off. So I just put on like a white t-shirt and the Olaf onesie and I show up and everyone, number one, everyone in the preacher's side, like they're all consultants. Like it's just all consultants here to help Walmart. And then, I walk in and my whole team is wearing their entire like suits and everything. <laughs> and I just have on this full Olaf onesie and I had been there like, you know, a month on the project. <laughs> and I'm just, I just think to myself, Oh God, dude, I messed up. Like, this is not, we're not at SAE party right now. <laughs> this is, this is corporate McKinsey. This is a different world. And fortunately the senior partner for McKinsey was there and he loved, like he loves it. He's like this dude's an idiot. Like I cannot believe he's wearing this. I've never seen anything like it. And so the fact that he liked it, you know, the, the top down made it okay. And but that didn't. You didn't have to stay terribly long because you obviously moved out to Stanford Business School. Yep. Yeah. 
how did that happen? Also, something that I've talked to my brother about, I've talked to people about, is like, you, and I mentioned that it was a sliding door moment, I think, yeah. for your life. You would you put it that way to me. The Notre Dame kick. Yeah. What impact did that have on you going to McKinsey, going to GSB, being where you are today? Yeah. Did it? Do you think that it actually changed your path? Dude, no doubt. No doubt changed my path. And uh, I'm just so grateful that that was able to happen. And so McKinsey, I remember in my final interview, I was interviewed by a guy named Roger Roberts, who's a senior partner in McKinsey San Francisco office. And the first thing I sit, I sit down, his first question was, so what were your thoughts before the Notre Dame kick? And I remember just yes, <laughs> let's go. Like, that's the first question. Huge Stanford football fan. He's still one of my mentors to this day. He's awesome. So I definitely think that, you know, that had an impact with me moving to McKinsey, um, you know, just helping people, I guess, recognize who I was and, um, and then on my Stanford Business School acceptance letter, the Dean of Admissions had handwritten, welcome to the GSB, that Notre Dame kick is still like the best thing I've ever seen in a football game. Um, wow. And so, yeah, it just was totally a sliding glass door moment. And the GSB is a crazy place. I walked into this class that I took as an undergrad, it was sports business management with George Foster, who's a legend of the GSB. Yeah. And a big supporter of Stanford football. I, I walked into that class and I looked down the aisle and I'm sure there were a lot of other semi-famous people in my midst that I didn't even realize, but I looked down the aisle and there's Toby Gearhart, who to me, when I had first watched speaking of the Harbaugh era, like the most badass Stanford football yeah, player no doubt. ever. So I'm starstruck by that. And then behind me, there's this guy, this giant man, who looks a lot older than most of the the students. And I looked at Dylan Johnson, who was in the class with me, and I was like, where do I recognize this guy from? I know this is someone. To, and he goes, dude, that's Zaza Pachulia. <laughs> okay. Oh, my God. All right, interesting. And then, you know, the same week, the lecturer is not class for Unbelievable. The same week, the lecturer was literally Billy Bean of the Oakland A's, who the entire Moneyball book and movie is based on. Like, crazy stuff like that seems to happen all the time in the GSB ecosystem. What were some of the crazier elements or moments at the GSB? That's a great question. Um, I think to start, you hit the nail on the head. The amount of incredible speakers that the GSB gets on a very consistent basis is incredible. Um, I remember... We had Gwyneth Paltrow in one of my classes, and uh, for some reason, this was our first year when we were on Zoom, and so my picture, for some reason, because I think I spoke in the beginning, was like right next to hers the whole time. So I got like 20 people sending me screenshots of you know me just looking like an idiot in class right next to Gwyneth Paltrow, like talking. So um, that was pretty funny. Um, but then you know you get guys like Steve Kerr. You get incredible business people like Joel Peterson, who was the CEO of JetBlue, like teaching your class. Like he's yeah. literally, this dude's the CEO of a Fortune 500 airline, just incredible person. Now he's his own VC fund, and he's like sitting two days a week teaching you. That's just absolutely incredible. So I think it starts there with the people, um, the professors who come in. Uh, but then, of course, the students themselves, it's just like, 
Stanford undergrads who are so type A and gregarious. And I think the biggest word is passionate that every GSB person has something that they're super passionate about, you know, where there's literally like, dude, I just love finance. Like I'm Derek Yan, who was one of my roommates and I'm just obsessed with private equity and can build a model literally in my sleep. Yeah. Or, um, you know, I'm someone who just has done government my whole life and just Policy guy. Yeah, totally. And just Probably a, a, a guy in every category. As just a guy, dude, in everything. Yeah. And, and the gals. Or gal. And, yeah. yeah, guy, gal, guy, gender neutral. And <laughs> it just, um, you can just learn so much from them. And at the end of the day, um, like I just know that all of them would just, you could hire them for pretty much any thing and they would just be a great problem solver and they would apply themselves. So I think that is really the big differentiator. Well, I'm glad we could do this. Yeah. Dude, this was epic. It's so fun. It's so fun, like, chatting with people, obviously, who I know and have known, and uh, there's no shortage of things to talk about with you, so. Absolutely. I'm glad you could come on. I'm glad we could do it live. It's super fun to do it in person. so fun, dude. I feel like we could literally, I mean, probably talk for two and a half hours. I feel like we could literally talk for another two and a half hours easily. That's the way it goes. It's very easy to get to get going on these things. Absolutely. And someday... We're going to do the reversal. I'm going to interview you. Maybe this is episode two, maybe on episode uh, 200 or 20 or something. We can do it. And we can definitely make that happen. Yeah, i got to do it again. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, Brent, dude. You're the man. Thanks, dude.